The Start On Demand The Sounds of Fozzy One band led by Winnipeg's Chris Jericho In the squared circle right now In Japan in the Tokyo Dome I've never been excited about a wrestling match before (laughs) My skin is tingling I'm watching some of the highlights on Twitter right now It looks like it was an epic match between Winnipeg's Chris Jericho and Winnipeg's Kenny Omega, called by Winnipeg's Don Callis, also known as the Jackal, once upon a time, or Cyrus, once upon a time. Winnipeg really making its mark on the professional wrestling world this morning. So a lot of you that will know this song, Judas, are already up. You've been up for hours. You're you're watching online or on pay-per-view right now. Yeah, this, uh, this pay-per-view started at 2 a.m. our time. And the reason why this is significant is this event right now is the largest event of its kind in professional wrestling. Kenny Omega is mid, early to mid-30s. He's seen as the biggest wrestling star on planet Earth. So the fact that Chris Jericho got in the ring with him made this event even that much bigger. And yeah, the fact that it's a sort of a triple threat Winnipeg connection ruling the wrestling world is very exciting. It's kind of like if I can uh, make a hockey assimilation, it's kind of like back in the World Hockey Association days when the Jets dominated the WHA and the NHL teams would play the Jets in preseason, but they would only be like St. Louis and Minnesota, Toronto, Montreal would never play the Jets. So it's kind of like the WHA meets the NHL on a grand scale. And this could be, you know, as big as Kenny Omega is, who knows what happens after this for him. It could be very exciting. That's true. You know, he uh, maybe he'll end up in WWE. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know maybe that he, he won't bother. Yeah, I don't know that he necessarily needs to because, as mentioned, he is seen as the biggest star in professional wrestling. And I, I watched some of the highlights, too. And it kind of rekindled my Love of wrestling. Once upon a time, I won a contest on Power 97 to go down to WrestleMania X7 in Houston, uh, where I saw the the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event. So, I mean, I, I don't watch wrestling anymore, but I can I still enjoy it. And seeing the 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 kind of matches that they put on in Japan, they're very innovative, and they it's uh, it's a very much about the wrestling just as much as it's about the showmanship. And uh, you know what? I shouldn't criticize. I I can't comment on the state of modern day professional wrestling in North America because I haven't watched a match in many years. But uh, yeah, just watching it, the excitement just came back. And now I really want to see this match between Jericho and Omega. And I'm concerned that if I turn on, if I open Twitter and start watching these highlights you're talking about, I'll be doing the show on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, if you're watching at home, uh, feel free to text us at 780-6868 your take on it and how it went. Uh, Everything from a folding chair to Kenny Omega body slamming on top of Chris Jericho with a folding table on top of uh, Jericho outside the ring. We've got lots of things planned for you on the show today, including uh, our friend, the billboard at least the relic and the rusting hulk that is the frame of the billboard uh looks like it's going to be around for at least a little while yet as the uh, board of adjustments uh, agreed with the city to not allow a giant uh, winnipeg art gallery installation slash billboard to uh, go on top of the castle building at the intersection of portage and sherbrooke 
Yeah, there was a meeting yesterday, and it looks like the there may actually the city might be able to get this derelict sign removed entirely. So Boy, that would be nice if if we can't have the in between, right? Yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be nice to finally get rid of that ugly thing. I know it's just really in the in the grand scheme. Yes, at uh, at the surface, if you're driving up the street, you might not even notice it, but it's what it represents, and it's the, it's been sitting there for how long has it been? Since it's been like that. Well, you know, uh, I in my mind, it's been at least two decades since there's been anything up there. Has it been there. that long? Uh, that, in my mind, that's how long it's been. Uh, if you know differently, would love love to hear from you. Now, the, the news that shook our newsroom yesterday. Yes. Concerned. <laughs> the Moffats. <laughs> I Oh, seriously? Of all the Moffat songs there are, this is the one you picked? <laughs> oh, Canada's answer to Hanson. Uh, They're returning after an 18-year absence with a new single. How exciting is this? You know what? As much as it, it, it's easy to take sort of shots at Hanson, particularly when you hear this song, this kind of Hanson or the Moffats? Who are we taking a shot Hansen? at? You did, because they're I, interchangeable. I, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, pardon me. The Moffats. But you know what? Okay. Once you get past this. Oh, God. Um, their later stuff was actually pretty good. You know, they, they, they became really good musicians, and I enjoyed listening to some of their stuff. Uh, because Hanson, I think, was that kind of one-hit mbop novelty. Whereas the, and the Moffats, their opening single, it had the exact same beat as Mbop. It, it was the CanCon alternative. Which, which one was that? It was called uh, I'll Be There For You. Right. And so once they got past that, and then they made started to make better music, I thought, oh, these guys are actually pretty good. They're not just a joke. They're not a Canadian alternative that radio stations can use to bump up their CanCon requirement. Well, we that got us rolling on a little bit of other conversation and into obscure names. And one name that came up yesterday that I hadn't heard, I bet you, in the 2000s was Remy Shand. Oh. How did she fall in love? Tired and shaking up. Winnipeg's own Remy Shand. Yes. Who had a huge hit with this song. Take a message. No one was In the video, remember, he played all the different parts, playing all the different, uh, all the musical instruments and, you know, wearing different hats because he always wore a hat, right? Yeah. He hide his incredible hair. So we want to have a conversation <laughs> about obscure Winnipeg talent that we sometimes forget comes from Winnipeg. This in light of the Jericho Omega mega match in Tokyo. The Moffat's coming back because Dave Hansen actually uh, lived in Winnipeg for quite a, an extended period of time. Or uh, See, I did it. Moffat. Yeah. Dave Moffat <laughs> okay. spent an extended amount of time living in Winnipeg, and that uh, also became part of the discussion. So we want to hear from you. 780-6868. Obscure Winnipeg talent. And don't... The obscure is not in any way derogatory. Obscure just means maybe talent that we haven't spoken enough about over the last little while. A little bit of a trip down memory lane.
Do you think Manitobans should have the option of getting an immediate medical test for a price? Here's what Shadow Davis thinks. Good morning. Here's a story you might have missed in the last week with the screwed up holiday timeline we've been living in. Proto Clinic in that big medical building on Lorimar Boulevard down by the Golf Dome has started offering some diagnostic testing at a cost. Ultrasounds and echocardiograms are now available. According to globalnews.ca, the WRHA says the average wait time for an ultrasound is about 10 weeks. That's not too terrible, but wait till you hear this one. The wait for an echocardiogram, which is essentially a more advanced and detailed version of an EKG, is about 10 months. Say what? Well, at ProtoClinic, you can now get an appointment in a matter of days. Clinic co-founder Dr. Demetrius Balladgeorge says if you're able to have people step out of that line, then people who are staying in that line will hopefully get their scans sooner. And this comes at no additional cost to the system. Then everybody benefits. Right you are, Demetrius. An echocardiogram at ProtoClinic will cost you around $650, while an ultrasound will set you back $500. As for concerns about a two-tiered system and how fee-for-service clinics are even allowed to operate in Canada in the first place, a spokesperson for the province said the clinic isn't breaking any rules by offering ultrasounds and echocardiograms in a private clinic to people wanting to pay. If people don't want to pay, they can join the waitlist. Makes sense, right? But hold on just a second! (laughs) There are some people claiming, no fair, no fair, and if you guess the unions, well, you'd be right. The MGEU says the service creates a health care divide between the rich and the poor. Union President Michelle Goronsky says no Manitoba family, mother or father, should have to decide whether it's going to be paying hydro, putting food on the table, or having a life-saving test done for one of their children, such as an ultrasound. Well, Michelle, I'd counter that by saying yes, they should have that option every single time, rather than having to wait 10 months in line and maybe their child dying in that time. Let's face facts here. People have been going to Grand Forks for years to get medical testing done at a cost. And those dollars have been leaving town, leaving the country. You can even go to Pemita Highfield MRI just across the border for a test. And check this out. They're in the States, but they call themselves Pemita Highfield MRI, Manitoba's premier MRI provider. Manitoba's premier MRI provider. See for yourself, PemitaMRI.com. And please also remember, Ontario, Alberta, B.C., Quebec, they've all had private MRI clinics for years. Saskatchewan even opened one just last year. The opposition NDP have written the federal health minister calling for Health Canada to investigate. The letter from NDP leader Wab Canoe and health critic Andrew Swan says the clinic's offer of private testing amounts to profiteering in Canada's health care system. I guess those guys are clueless as to what's been going on in our country for the last 25 or so years. Health Canada says they don't have the authority to investigate ProtoClinic, although they do plan to raise the issue with the Manitoba Ministry of Health in the coming weeks. Health Minister Kelvin Gertson reacted to the NDP's letter asking, why would the NDP want Manitobans to be second-class citizens in their own country? Well, he's got a point. In my opinion, we Manitobans have been brainwashed about this supposed two-tier healthcare system for way too long. Private medical testing clinics clearly benefit everybody, whether you're paying or whether you're waiting less time in line. Enough said. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Thank you very much, Shadow Davis. 
Mackling McGarry in the morning. It is the Shadow Davis Show. Now that Boxing Week is over, the doors are open for returning or exchanging gifts that just didn't cut it. If you didn't manage to re-gift it, Mm. now's your time to take it back. So today we're having coffee talking, returning and exchanging items. Have you returned something that maybe shouldn't have been returned or have you had a hard time picking through the leftovers when you tried to exchange an item? Shanley Vidal is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Braun, and of course behind the glass, Jerry. And we'll start with Shanley Vidal. Have you ever had to, or do you have anything to return this holiday season? Right, the end of the holiday season? I, I don't return gifts I get. I Very, 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 very rarely because I don't want to go through the hassle or the effort. But last year, um, I, we got my mom a pair of a pair of really nice gloves. And the, when we picked them out, uh, I you know I wanted to get the uh, the smaller size. My boyfriend's like, oh, no, there's going to be too small for her. So, of course, uh, we end up getting the bigger size way too big for her. So we had to. So we gave her a gift receipt. She went to exchange them. They did not have those exact ones anymore. So then we went to exchange them. They were sold out everywhere in the city. So we ended up getting a different pair and it was just the whole thing and then getting a credit, which I actually only used, I think, yesterday to buy myself some warm tights. But it just, just uh, it was a lot of hassle and things were picked through and we couldn't get those gloves and... It, yeah, it was a it was a whole thing, and then I think out of the ones we got, my boyfriend had actually bought the same ones in the in the size that would fit her. So he actually gave her his gloves, and then took the new ones that so we now, got. So now your boyfriend's gloveless. Well, he has the newer the newer gloves that you know the ones that we bought that. The We're, second choice. Second, he has the second choice gloves. Yeah. See, there's see. And it, I got the and I got the uh, forty dollar difference. In, in this case, it is way better to receive than to give. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like your boyfriend got shafted. But it, it is a lot of rigmarole, isn't it, Kelly? Yeah. And I feel for the retail workers. I really do because uh, none of this is their fault. But they uh, seem to be caught into the crosshairs of shoppers who are uh, trying to exchange uh, gifts. Or I, I guess the only thing I uh, have a problem with, I can't remember who I was talking to, where um, they went to exchange a gift and no exchanges. Was that you yesterday? Yeah. yeah. I purchased a, a – sorry, Kelly, no, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Tell the story because that kind of dovetails to what I wanted to talk about. Well, I purchased a gift uh, from a little shop in Osborne Village I'd never been to. I won't identify the shop, but I was excited to go in there finally, and I had a reason to go in, and I went in there, and I, I didn't know what I was looking for. It was a gift for my mom, and I found something, uh, a, a unique little item, and I thought, oh, I'll roll the dice in this. I, I'm not sure. And when I purchased it, uh, I said, can I get a gift receipt for this? And it, the implication is that there's a good chance this is coming back. And they said, sure, no problem. And nowhere did they identify that, by the way, this is exchange or store credit only, no <coughs> refunds. And that may have swayed my purchasing yeah. decision, but I would... But at least that they would have been, I, I would have rather them be honest with me. So now yeah. I'm stuck with this gift that I'd rather just take it back and get a refund as opposed to having uh, the, the exchange of store credit. Yeah. So I guess the, the moral of the story is when you are buying something, say refund rather than exchange. Because it's too easy for a lot of these places. Oh, yeah, we'll exchange it for you. You know, and you yes, assuming that that means refund. So that's the thing I learned out of out of that, and it's happened to me before. 
Uh, so now when I buy a gift, because uh, it's hit and miss with my bride, uh, although she was extremely <laughs> happy with her Christmas gifts this yeah, year. Well done, really done good. Yes, uh, <laughs> separate my shoulders by patting myself on the back. Better late than never, eh, <laughs> But I, I always one. make the point, though, of asking, can I get a refund? Now, on the retailer side, they are under no obligation to do refunds, right? Like no. Every store has the legal ability to set their own return policies, and it's up to you as a consumer to know. However, I've said this lots of times on this air. I've said it in meetings. I think the difference in this competitive time, not even between brick-and-mortar store versus brick-and-mortar store versus the internet, the right. ones that are going to win are the ones that are going to have the best return and easiest exchange slash return plans because that is the real, really the only shortfall of the internet is the fact that you can't touch it and try it on before you buy it. Right. And, and those that accommodate you are the ones that are going to win. And returning right. online stuff, because then you got to like package it up and oh. mail it back to them. It's a huge pain. Exactly. I've, I've had to do so that. it's easy to do, Jeff. Ah. It's a trip to somewhere to buy a box and oh, tape good it up. Lord. And, no, they come in. Well, usually they come in a bag worker? or whatever. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I've already done that. Oh, you make you make life so incredibly difficult for yourself when it doesn't have to be. Amazon should send a guy to your house to take it. <laughs> An entitled forty-year-old. Oh my God! Hey, hey, behind the glass, Jerry, you you have a different perspective on this, right? I, I'm just loving this conversation because I can't remember the last time I've even wanted to return anything that I have received. I am. I am so glad that I haven't because this just seems like such a hassle. <laughs> now, what about stuff, returning stuff uh, that doesn't even necessarily belong in the store that you're returning it to? <laughs> and we've all heard stories about, oh, yeah, Walmart will take anything back. Yeah. Costco will take anything yeah. back. Literally anything. No, I think we can is, add, yeah, we can add Home Depot yeah. to that list, too. I can tell you that through uh, previous experience through my better half. Really? Oh, yes. Yeah. Is that yeah. A, a good or bad thing? Um. Well, it kind of makes you wonder how uh, they uh, they make ends meet at the end. You know, well, at the end of each stock quarter, price, they do pretty well. Yes. You yeah. know, one of the most. It's, it's it's that competitive thing you just talked about, though, uh, GMAC, about you know the ones that uh, basically cater to their customers in all situations. Well, some people may know the story, the legendary story about Nordstrom. About the about the customer brought brought back the four snow tires to Nordstrom and asked for his money back. And they don't sell snow tires. They don't sell anything <laughs> close to snow tires. Now that's apparently an urban myth and a an uh. urban legend that was probably started by Nordstrom itself. But to exemplify that, we'll do yeah. anything that we need to do to make our customers happy, whether you're a customer now or in the future. I bought you one gift. Your gloves to Nordstrom. <laughs> I, I bought one gift that's going to have to be returned. Uh, a few months ago, my girlfriend and I were in a bookstore. She was pointing out books. Oh, I'd like this at a display. And I was secretly taking pictures with my phone. Which is brilliant. Yeah. And I thought I got two books in one shot. I went and bought them both. But I guess she just wanted one of them. I didn't look at either of them. <laughs> and I gave them to her. And she's leafing through the one that she didn't want. She says, well, you look at this? And I was like, no, why? And it turned out to be a very illustrated book of erotic poetry. <laughs> 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 it was it was very graphic. It was and none of it rhymed. But so did you just keep the book then? Well, it might be returned yet. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the receipt. <laughs>
<laughs> Jeff Ron, thank you very much That's for that. That's going to be a difficult conversation. <laughs> Your feedback at 204-780-6868, having coffee, talking about returns. Shannon Lee Vidal, Kelly Moore behind the glass, Jerry and Jeff Braun. Thank you very much. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Couple of names, not nearly as recognizable, I think, right now as Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, two Winnipeg wrestling superstars. It's close, Brett. Come on. It's really close. <laughs> and they took down the Tokyo Dome this morning in Wrestle Kingdom 12. This is a major international worldwide event, and it's dominated by... A triple threat of Winnipeggers. Yeah, this goes beyond wrestling in my mind. We talk about our pride for Winnipeg and the things that go on in this community. We do as much as we can to promote the things that happen in our community that are positive. This from the world of wrestling entertainment. Uh, there's no bigger event likely to happen this year. You can tell me about WrestleMania coming up and all the different events. This is already January 4th, the biggest event of 2018, and it may stand that way. And on the line right Right now, we have Winnipegger Marty Gold, who was tuned in to this match. Big wrestling fan. He's been involved and very active in the wrestling community for many years now. Mr. Gold, welcome to 680 CJOB. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. I think the last time I was on the morning show, Red Alex was still around. <laughs> and, and one Don't... of the only things that could possibly get me up this early would be, you know, a situation like this and an event like this and an opportunity to talk to the CGOB audience like this. Well, Marty, we appreciate it very much. What did we miss? Uh, you know, this is tricky, eh? Because I don't really want to get into a lot of spoilers, but what was missed was a spectacle. Uh this was not only uh, a triumph for Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, both of whom I know somewhat vaguely in one case, a little better in the other, but also for Don Callis of Winnipeg, who has gotten involved in New Japan in the last couple of years on the broadcast team and is now vice president of TNA of uh, Impact Wrestling, formerly TNA. But this was uh, an offhanded idea that Don had, like a fantasy match, that uh, because of the, the business pull that these guys have as performers and the smarts, they were able to put to, to put together the uh, the official at- attendance was I think five people under thirty five thousand. Uh, the match itself went almost thirty five minutes. It was a tremendous athletic uh, exhibition. But as I said, it was a fabulous spectacle that that really makes sure people people know uh, as as Don Cal said on the commentary, they were in the Winnipeg Dome tonight, not the Tokyo Dome. So what, uh, in terms of Kenny Omega, like we, we often have been, we've been talking a lot about Chris Jericho, but can you tell us a little bit about who is Kenny Omega and why is he so big these days? Kenny's a really interesting kind of person on top of being a superior athlete. Um, you know, when I first found out about Kenny, I had moved to the West Coast uh, at the turn of the century. When I came back here and I got familiar with who the new new participants were in the wrestling industry, uh, I was told uh, that, you know, Kenny was a bit of a different kind of cat. Uh, he was a hockey goalie, which maybe explains part of it. And his <laughs> uncle, Larry Anson, I had uh, wrestled with in my earliest days uh, at Chalmers, the new brand wrestling, and uh, was he was uh, also very influential with Don Callis early in Don's career. So, uh, Kenny came into came into it with a very different attitude, a very mo- more modern attitude. Um, uh, he he's innovative in terms of his athletic moves, but what sets him apart, as I said, is his attitude. I've been in a lot of locker rooms with Kenny. He still comes back to Winnipeg to perform for Premier Championship Wrestling at their events at uh, at uh, doubles at uh, uh, in St. Patel and. 
Kenny, his, what he says to these young guys, these aspiring hopefuls who look up to him uh, in the locker room, is to forge their own path. And, and the, what he said at the last show, before the last show, very soft-spoken, was, you know, you don't have to be robots. You can be creative, and, and you can do different things to connect with the crowd. And he is masterful at it. And because he's very connected with, with, uh, with, with uh, you know, video games and those kinds of crowds, he's able to get across and connect with people emotionally in a very different way. And then the athletic ability he has uh, just sort of brings it up to another level. He also comes across, frankly, with a, a certain kind of attitude that uh, people find refreshing. Well, and I know he does some tremendous work in the community as well. And we'll, we'll maybe catch up with Kenny when he's back in Winnipeg to talk about this, uh, Marty. But in the broad uh, spectrum about what this says about Winnipeg on on other levels, maybe you could wrap up your thoughts on that because th- this this is bigger in my mind than just the wrestling world. Oh, it absolutely is. Uh, th- this demonstrates that, uh, and, and you know, Chris Jericho also very much an individual. And he had the kind of stroke that he could put this together from his end and, and sell Vince McMahon on the idea that it would enhance Jericho's visibility worldwide. And how much bigger can he get uh, between his podcast, his, his uh, TV series with CBC? Uh, this has spawned a ton of new, new T-shirts with the Alpha versus Omega theme, and especially all three of the participants, uh, including Don Callis. They really promoted that this shows how fortunate uh, Winnipeg is, and the kind of influence that Winnipeg has in, in wrestling, a city of our size, with two very influential and very different kinds of wrestling promotions, uh, for instance, uh, and, uh, and it's, it's an inspiration for all sorts of young Canadian performers. And the fact that fans worldwide were up, no matter what their time zone, to watch this spectacle, to, to see uh, the, 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 not just the crowd reactions live, but the reactions online to the different combinations of moves and the drama as, as it was built up. Um, nobody's going to be able to say that Winnipeg isn't a leader in the professional wrestling industry anymore, and I'm very glad that CGOB has gotten behind it. And I'd like to, I personally think it's about time to declare Wrestling Day in Winnipeg, whether it's done by proclamation of the mayor, by proclamation of the premier. This industry's contributed a lot uh, to this community, uh, and, and has sent a lot of stars out, no stars in this era, as big as Omega and Jericho. But uh, it's always good that the efforts of, of guys like that and the people that, that were there with them along the way, the promoters, the other wrestlers, is finally getting some recognition that we have got a, a really good factory here, as it were, where guys can get a start here, move on to the real world, and take second place to nobody when it comes to putting on a WrestleMania, so-called WrestleMania-level uh, uh, feature match. All right, Marty Gold, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Marty Gold is a very active member of the wrestling community in this city, and as you can tell, very enthusiastic about what happened today, Wrestle Kingdom 12 at the Tokyo Dome in Japan, featuring Winnipeg's very own Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, who is seen as the biggest wrestling star on the planet. And very passionate about our city, period, dot. So I want to give Marty a shout-out for that as well. Appreciate him joining us this morning. At 9.34 p.m. yesterday, we got two voicemails at the exact same time. want to play one of them for you. Hello. Uh, I've never called in before, but I just saw something really weird. At around 9.24 tonight, I was driving uh, eastbound Bishop Granite, just about to hit, uh, uh, I guess, 59, where I would turn left, or I guess, north. 
and I saw a huge blue light overneath uh, St. Patel, just, you know, to my right, and I, it was, a, it was a big loud boom, and it, I've never seen anything like it. It blew up the sky. I even called my mom. We live in, I guess, Harvey South, way down the road. She saw it, too, right out of the window. So, you hear about that. People are not crazy. Good night. <laughs> That's from Ryan. Thank you very much. If you hear about that, people are not crazy. No, you're not crazy, Ryan. Lots of uh, people did see it. Uh, was very active on Twitter and Facebook last night. People asking about what they'd seen in the sky. Yeah, we got a text message here, a screen grab uh, from one example. This is, looks like this is from something called Oak Bank Rant and Rave. And uh, this says, did anyone see a falling star? Looked like a ball of fire between Enola and Glass, the town of Glass. One of my classmates uh, lived in Glass. It was a uh, one street in a gas station. I was going to say, between the two of us, I think we know half the residents of Glass, <laughs> Manitoba. <laughs> Friends of mine live there as well. Uh, and this was about 9.20 p.m. Now, I know it sounds crazy, but then there are a bunch of comments. We were driving down Highway 15 just past 207. The sky lit up green. So, yeah, this was all, all sorts of people seeing this. And as we have heard in Global News with Jeff Braun, it is, uh, what was it? The NASA sent out a tweet saying the quadranted meteor shower was slated to peak last night. It was seen as far away as Minneapolis, as Jeff Braun and his crack research team found on Twitter, uh, user at Pedro Pants. <laughs> <laughs> great username. <laughs> don't know what it means. Maybe I don't want to know, but it's a great username. <laughs> I didn't see it. Unfortunately, I had already gone to bed, but even if I was still awake, I wouldn't have been able to see it. Well, the thing is half of North America is getting this big uh, blizzard bomb coming in off the Atlantic Ocean. So the skies probably were lighting up underneath or above all the cloud cover. Mm. We were clear last night and just happened to see all this stuff. So we're going to try and get some more uh, definition in terms of uh, what actually happened last night. But it seems to be a part of that meteor shower. It's now time for this week's Small Town Salute. It's for South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. And today we're going to visit Vita, an area, to learn more about the Winter Festival. On the line is Jerry Dubienski. He is a committee member with the Vita, an area, Winter Festival. Festival, pardon me, which is happening next weekend, January 13th and 14th. Also a council member in the area. And Jerry, am I understanding correctly that you are a chairperson for the curling rink too? Uh, yeah, well, president, yeah. So I guess I'm an ice maker, um, wash dishes and stuff like that. Too, yeah. So, so you wear many hats. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and as typical with uh, people of your stature in a small community, very humble about it. Uh, Jerry, tell us a little bit about Vita. I asked Brett if he'd ever been to Vita before, and he confessed that he had not. I have been there uh, two or three different times. For those that don't know where it is, where is Vita, Manitoba? Well, we're about an hour south of the south perimeter, along uh, 59 south, uh, just well, 10 miles away from the U.S. border, U.S.-Canada uh, border. Uh, uh, just uh, uh, east uh, east of the 59, about 10 miles. 
And there's some uh, other little uh, towns in and around Vita as well. When you talk about Vita and area, maybe you could do an, uh, some more name dropping for us. Oh, yeah. Well, we got uh, like uh, our RM is a uh, Studburn. It's a small little town here, too. Uh, Gardenton, Sundown. Uh, I'm just thinking of the, the ones in our RM that uh, basically uh, take care of that. Tolstoy right on uh, 59. Uh, yeah, places like that. So, Jerry, I mean, we've been talking a lot uh, of late of how we embrace winter in Winnipeg and in southern Manitoba, and that's why we wanted to head out to your area because we found on uh, Travel Manitoba's website the Vita and Area Winter Festival. So what are you guys doing to celebrate and embrace winter? Well, I mean, we've uh, it's a two days filled of all kinds of different activities, everything from uh, for all age groups, everything from kids' crafts and toboggan slides for the kids to cribbage and bingo for the seniors and, and well, of course, dog sled ride, uh, races and, and rides this year and, and things like scajoring, which is a uh, another dog race. Basically, it's a person being pulled by one dog on skis. Uh, we've got uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, hockey game going on in the Saturday night, the fireworks Saturday, uh, just about everything you can think of, I think. What was that word you mentioned? Skijoring? Skijoring, yes. And this is something we didn't have it last year. We this is for the second year of the festival, and basically it's a yeah, it's a instead of a, like a regular dog sled race would be with a you know a, a sled with say t- six or ten dogs being pulled pulling the sled. This this is a a person on skis like a regular snow, uh, ice uh, skiing uh, skis, and uh, they're pulled by either one dog or two dogs, kind of thing. That sounds fun. Something different. Yeah. First time I'd ever read the word was when I was going through the information for our conversation today. So, uh, you know, and and so you're mentioning this is the second time you've done that. What was the impetus? Because I think, you know, Brett mentioned it off the top, but I think we're doing a way better job now than we've ever done in terms of embracing the winter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, something to to you know break up the monotony over the winter stuff, and uh, and we well it was it was brought up by a couple of uh, local people that are actually uh, mushers, and uh, they they you know, they race all over the place, and it was something that they they wanted to see happen in the in the southeast uh, in Manitoba here, or well, and even in Manitoba, you know, uh, other races are all you know the Paw Thompson, you know, um, Alberta, Saskatchewan, places like that. So it's just uh, something we uh, tried it and and worked really well. Now the, the the dog races that you have outside of the ski drawing, you also have a ten dog as well as six dog races on both Saturday and Sunday. How long are these races in terms of uh, the length? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I get the distance. It'd be about uh, I think fifteen kilometers. Uh, I think and and uh, for the ten dog, and I think it's about ten to twelve for the six dog. I'm I'm not certain about that, but they think about well two hours to uh, finish like once they start then they run the route then they come back into back into town so it takes about two hours just under maybe maybe an hour you know hour and a half so Sounds like a very exciting event, Jerry. And uh, as much as you'd love to see people invite at any time visiting, don't come this weekend because, well, you can come this weekend, but come for the big event. Come for the Vita and Area Winter Festival next weekend, January 13th and 14th. Yes, yes, that's the day. That's for sure. Thank you yeah, for mentioning that. Okay, so and you can also get information. You can follow on Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, there's a fireworks show Saturday evening. There's going to be a snowmobile, a vintage snowmobile show in the shine. Neat. Actually, before we let you go, can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Well, it's it's just basically old bo- uh, bogey style uh, snow machines. Uh, they're well, they're all years like back in the early seventies, maybe even late sixties, and they're just a bunch of locals that have some old machines and they bring them out and uh, and actually we have a raffle off. Uh, I should say a raffle on Sunday night for a, a seventy-two uh, machine that uh, somebody's fixed up for us. So wow, uh, these things yeah. still work. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, yeah. They're, they're all they're all running. They all come out there. Some of them don't don't make a long track. Some of them come from you know a few miles around. But no, no, they all definitely they run around town afterwards. And no, nope, they're all working. Nice. Well, Jerry, it's been very yeah. nice to speak with you this morning, and uh, we congratulate your community for embracing winter the way you are, and uh, look forward to hearing more about the Vita and Area Winter Festival, not this coming weekend, but next weekend, January 13th and 14th in Vita. Thanks again, Jerry. Okay, thank you. All right, Jerry Dubiansky joining us from Vita. He is one of the committee members for the Vita and Area Winter Festival, as well as a council member, and he mentioned president uh, slash chairperson of the curling rink. Uh, <laughs> Ice maker. Dishwasher. Does everything that needs to be done, and that's the can-do attitude that you'll see in small towns all over Manitoba, all over Canada. It, it is a genuine thing. I think I'm going to might have to go down there and do some curling down in Vita. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, it is the Shadow Davis show. He's standing by his shadow. He's got a commentary on the increasing minimum wage in Ontario in particular, causing issues at one Tim Horton's location in particular. Diana Foxall is here. We've been telling you for weeks now about that empty billboard at Portage and Sherbrooke. Well, it's going to remain empty, at least for now. The derelict sign on top of the Castle Loma building has had its bid to re-establish operational status rejected after Winnipeg's Board of Adjustment voted in accordance with the planning department's recommendations. And Diana, uh, lots of information came out of this meeting last night. Yeah, so first off, the main thing here is that we're not going to be seeing any new billboards put up at that site. So what what the owners of the billboard wanted to have happen was they wanted to get the billboard up and running again so they could lease it out for free to the Winnipeg Art Gallery to advertise its galleries. And that was kind of seen as a more um, positive option than just leaving it as it is now, which is pretty much eyesore status. They wanted to get it a little more aesthetically pleasing and put put it back in use again. However, that was shut down by the Board of Adjustment after the city planners did a review and they recommended just rejecting this application. There were too many issues. Uh, the board is more than three times the normal maximum size allowed for billboards. It's on a rooftop. It's on a heritage building. And... Um, if you're it's talking three, from if, other other residential buildings, so there's to, too many hoops to jump through that it's kind of contravening. Yeah, if 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 this is a three strikes and you're out situation, there's five strikes against this proposal, right? And you just outlined them there. So the Sussex Realty had made this arrangement with the Winnipeg Art Gallery, which we had touted here on 680 CGOB as a, a solution to this eyesore. So our big question was if this was voted down. Would the city have the power now to suggest, hey, um, you've got to take that structure down because it is an eyesore? And what was the answer on that? Because we've been having a hard time getting a genuine answer from anyone, including the mayor on this. So interestingly, we did find out that the city may actually have the power to get the owner to take that billboard down. And that's something we didn't know before. And that came as news to a number of people, including um, two of the folks who spoke in favor 
of the application being allowed. Um, the woman from Heritage Winnipeg, Cindy Tugwell, executive director, she said this was news to her. Initially, she came and she said she was there in support of something happening. Status quo, simply leaving the billboard as it is now, was unacceptable. So she wanted to either see uh, something go up, for example, the art gallery uh, advertising as they had planned, or to have it taken down because it simply wasn't acceptable there on such a special building. And she was quite pleasantly surprised to learn that the city might be able under zoning regulations to have the ability to do a review and uh, encourage that billboard to be taken down. So in the 60 seconds we have left here, Diana, what is going to happen next then? Where does this go from here? That's a good question because this is certainly not a final decision. Um, The owners could appeal the decision as they did back in 2014. Initially uh, in 2013, they put in, they put forward an application to have the billboard operational. They were denied then. Uh, They re applied in 2014 appealing their decision and they were actually successful. The trouble there was they didn't meet the operational deadline in 2015 due to contractor issues and hence they needed to reapply this time round. But they said this time they did have a contractor, they did have an advertiser up and ready to go. The trouble was obviously they were denied last night. So whether or not they will appeal that decision or whether or not the city will say, look, we're going to do a zoning review and get this shut down remains to be seen. And I've reached out to Sussex Realty, did so last night to find out if it's their intention to appeal. I've not heard back from them at this point. Global News reporter Diana Foxall, thank you so much for joining us this morning on the Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB to talk about the billboard, which will remain as is for now at the corner of Portage and Sherbrooke. Meanwhile, we just mentioned the Shadow Davis Show. Bank of Canada estimates there will be about 60,000 fewer jobs by 2019 because of higher minimum wages. Ontario raised its minimum wage to $14 per hour January 1st from 11.60 and plans to increase it to $15 in 2019. Alberta expected to bump its minimum wage to 15 bucks later this year. So here's Shadow Davis with his take on all that. Please, sir, I want some more. What? What? Good morning. Minimum wage increased in Ontario January 1st, going from $11.60 per hour to $14 per hour. And another increase will follow New Year's Day 2019 that takes it to $15 an hour. Woohoo! Good news, right? Well, business owners there have been concerned for months about this, wondering how they're going to pay. And I'm not talking about big business like car manufacturers and banks. I'm talking about the small to medium-sized businesses. Because think about it. If you have 30 employees all earning minimum wage, now you've got 30 employees earning nearly $5,000 more per year than before. And this works out to $150,000 a year to the owner, which could be enough to sink a small to medium-sized business or make that business barely profitable. So what are your options as the owner? Well, you can try to pass that cost on to the consumer somehow. You could start laying people off, I guess. You could cut back hours, maybe, or possibly you could pull back on incentives and benefits, like one Tim Hortons in Coburg has done. Let's keep in mind that all Tim Horton restaurants are independently owned, so this is not on the company itself, but rather the franchise owners who said in a letter to staff dated December 2017, Dear team members... It is with great regret that we, the local owners, find it necessary to make the following changes to our incentive programs, paid breaks, and policies. Next, they talk about intense conversations with numerous small business owners in the area, other franchise owners, and Tim Horton's management. Breaks. 
will no longer be paid. The incentives of working your birthday and the day off with pay after six months of not calling in sick, cancelled. Dental and health benefits will continue, but employees will now be required to pay up to 75% of the cost it used to be 100% covered. They note employees are allowed to cancel benefits if they wish to do so. The owners apologize for the changes and suggest once the future costs of operation are better known, they may be able to bring back some or all of the previous incentives. Okay, common misconception about most small business owners. They sit back, they rake in the big bucks on the backs of the downtrodden minimum wager. But the reality is these people work as hard or harder than their employees and sacrifice many things like time off, family time, to hopefully make their business pay off in the long run. And it doesn't always happen anyhow. Now it makes less sense than ever to start a small business, at least in Ontario or Alberta, where a minimum wage will increase to 15 bucks an hour in October as well. I mean, would you start a business to lose money or to break even? I know I wouldn't. The Bank of Canada suggests these minimum wage increases could cost Canada 60,000 jobs this year. And another model they've used suggests up to 136,000 jobs could be lost. The bank also suggests inflation is going to spike hard this year as well. All in the name of pay equity? Pardon me, but aren't most minimum wage jobs starter jobs? They get you started in the workforce, they give you a resume, and then you start to work your way up to better paying jobs, right? I used to work at Woolco in high school for three bucks an hour. Not a job I wanted to stay in, believe me. I mean, aren't these jobs designed to leave the employee wanting a better job with better wages to do better in the future? Well, not anymore, at least not in Ontario and soon to be Alberta. But here in Manitoba, well, minimum wage probably won't go up that much as long as Brian Pallister remains in charge. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Thank you, Shadow. One, two, three. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, Shanalee Vidal. Three things with Shanalee Vidal. Hi. Hello. We told you earlier about Canadian band The Moffats releasing a new single after an 18-year absence. By the way, there is a Winnipeg connection here because of the four brothers from The Moffats. One of the four brothers moved to Winnipeg, so that got us fondly remembering other Manitoba musical artists who had captured our attention in the past and had not heard too much about since, like Remy Shand, McMaster and James, for example. So today, for three things, we're going to reminisce about three Manitoba artists we loved and would love to hear from again. So, what's number one? <laughs> number one is uh, is actually from Brandon, Amanda Stott. Oh, she was yeah. in her teens when she came onto the music scene. Sure. Uh, her first album was released in 2000, and the song is uh, from that album. It's called Homeless Heart. And she released three albums from 2000 to 2005 and didn't hear too much from her. I know I did see her in a production of MTC's um, The Wave. It was uh, actually a local musical. Really, really, really really good. And uh, so she took a break, got married, had a family. In Nashville, she met a fellow musician, Matt Young. And uh, in 2012, she released a single with Matt called Now's Our Time. And last year, she actually had another single out, How Did It Happen? Is this it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I was looking at her Facebook, uh, you know, uh, Mandistot Music on Facebook. It just looks like she's just having such a fun time with her kids and her family and just enjoying life. Amanda Stott, number one. What's number two? Number two. This this one is uh, one of my, someone I really liked back in the day and uh, 
Holly McNarland from The Paw. Do you guys remember Holly McNarland? I know the yes. name. Absolutely. <laughs> this was a huge song. This one and Elmo. Uh, I think she she came out on the scene around 1995, but this one is from 1997 when her popularity just really, really just steamrolled. And uh, unfortunately, she hasn't updated her website since 2015. Never a good sign. No, at that time she was touring. Uh, she did collaborate with Matthew Good on a song for his Chaotic Neutral album that year. And it looks like she actually did a crowdfunding campaign to release an EP in 2012 called Run Body Run, but couldn't find anything else about uh, about what she's been doing. I love this song. It's uh, a great song. I have no <laughs> idea she was from the park. Really? Not a clue. Let's hear a little bit more of it. Somewhere on some kind of mix tape, uh, big shiny tune style. Oh yeah, Yeah. that that, yeah, and she's like from that kind of era, like that late '90s era. I think I think she may have toured with the Connelline Crush, but don't quote me on that. Okay, Connelline Crush, another one of your (laughs) favorites. Yeah, and another Winnipeg connection. Speaking of your crushes. (laughs) Speaking well, and speaking of speaking of my uh, my crushes, actually going back to the the last one, uh, one of my favorite all times bands, Jet Set Satellite. Uh, released only three albums from 2000 to 2008. The first album was actually part of lead singer Trevor Dominsky's. He was in Kraycom at Red River. This was part of his uh, major project. Got a record deal, actually. Dropped out of the program. That worked out okay. And, uh, and so actually, it was really, I think it was really hard for the band to kind of get together because he had moved to Toronto because he had a relationship and she lived in Toronto. He's working on uh, films as a production assistant. I know I didn't interview with him once years ago. I was so shy and so nervous. And he told this great story about how he like saved Hillary Swank from being run over. And uh, and then I know he got a job at Rumorg magazine, which is a, a horror magazine. And uh, he owned a, he, I think, owned or co-owned a store, uh, Planet of Sound, here in, in Manitoba, it's in Winnipeg. And so every time I'd go with my boyfriend and Trevor to be working, I'd be so nervous. And once Trevor's like, hey, you guys, I'm bored and I, I want to play some music. Going, Do you guys have any recommendations? And I'm like, can you play the Smiths? And he played the Smiths and it was like one of the greatest moments where it, is Planet of Sound? It's on Henderson Highway. There's a comic book store, oh, Galaxy, Galaxy Comics, yeah. right next Galaxy door. Galaxy Comics, yeah. Yeah, and so Galaxy Comics is where my boyfriend gets all of his Star Wars comics. Right. Yeah, and, and so great places. Is place. it upstairs or next door or where it's is right, it? It's right, right there. Like, you know what? I, I haven't been there Just for a while. Drive by there twice a day. I better yeah, go in. Yeah, and it's funny. If you like comics, I guess you can, just, uh, like, you can just say, oh, get me. I would like to reserve all of these comic books. Then you go in once a month or every couple of months and pick them up. So, anyways, a couple years ago, the band actually redid this song for the to, to honor the Winnipeg Jets coming back, or, or NHL coming back here, mm-hmm. and uh, it was called "Baby Fuel Your Jets." Yes, and I, I do. I did hear that the band was going to be releasing an album of uh, rarities, unreleased stuff. I don't know if it's out yet. I haven't heard much about that. And I, I know I've seen this band like a zillion times in, in concert, <laughs> so many times. And uh, I hope that they do get back together and do more shows because I on. would love love to see them again. I Some had no great names from the past. I had no idea that their first album was part of their major project yeah. for creative yeah, communications. Uh, yeah, first album Blueprint. Yeah, it's and, uh, and, and all three of those albums I I listen to on a regular basis. They're just so good. They really hold up. 
And one of my biggest regrets they is... They have three albums? They have three full-length albums. Because uh, in 2005, they released Vegas. And then uh, they had the end of the era in... Uh, 2008, and one of my biggest regrets is had tickets to see their their last show. It was a they always do these Halloween shows, and I just I just got too nervous. I had because I had a lot of anxiety back then, and I didn't go. And that was their last show. Oh, and I I regret this oh, to this day. Bad. One of my biggest regrets in my life. Well, and yeah. thanks for bring for bringing this up though. I've always remembered that uh, the best way to die is one of my favorite great, yeah, Canadian rock songs of all song. time. And uh, yeah, this is all. I'm gonna have to go home and pull out my uh, my cassette so I can listen to Numb. I could I, I could just watch it on YouTube. I know, but uh, something about listening to it on the ancient format that adds to the mystique of a song, don't you think? Tapes are coming back a little bit. Too, Tapes are they? coming back. Uh, albums have been back for a while. It's it's all retro now, right? Oh, my it's boys all... are bugging. Hey, can can we hook up your turntable? Why? So that you can uh, destroy my Judas Priest albums? <laughs> I don't think so, boys. Get your own sandwich. Shanley Vidal, three things with Shanley heard every day on the Shadow Davis show after the 8 o'clock news on 680 CJOB once again today. Reminiscing about three Manitoba artists we loved and would love to hear from again and you can send us your feedback at 204-780-6868 one person texting hey don't forget about the crash test dummies would love to see them back again for more than just a single concert That's at right. the Forks Brad was back this past summer for Canada Games That's Did what it was, the concert Canada with uh, WSO this is McMaster and James yes? Yeah Formerly, a very quick uh, tidbit about uh, McMaster and James. Prior to them being known as McMaster and James, they were the Two-Face, right? Two-Face at eight tracks on Main Street, which is now four for one Main. Uh, prior to the eight tracks, I believe that bar was called the Liquid Cabaret, and before that, it was the Bank. How did we use, How did we live such parallel lives without knowing one another? <laughs> we probably did somehow. <laughs> we just don't remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I interviewed uh, Rob James uh, when after he was on Canadian Idol, and uh, super nice guy, very down to earth, so modest, like so humble and modest. Uh, so yeah, it's nice to, to revisit some of these old tunes. I was always more of a fan of uh, "Love Wins Every Time." That's a good one, also. But this is a this is a nice. Yeah, they as did well. a great job on the video for this one as well. Send us your, you know, the obscure Manitoba acts, the ones that uh, don't make all the top ten lists. Seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. That uh, maybe we're jogging your memory of as we have this conversation. This uh, new book about Donald Trump by Michael Wolff, Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House. It's not even really technically available yet. It's already the number one book on Amazon. Really? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I wonder how many copies it will ultimately sell. Uh, Salacious details are already being shared. They're all over the Internet. Uh, CNN was... uh, uh, regurgitating these facts or these uh, version of the facts ad nauseum last night, uh, including the whole idea that maybe Donald Trump didn't really want to be president in the first place, that he was befuddled, quote unquote, by his election win. Absolutely some crazy facts coming out about this. Shadow Davis has more on this very subject. Good morning. Okay, what do you want to bet that this becomes one of the biggest selling books of all time, like Bible level? 
The White House is already denounced it as a smear job. It's called Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House and was written by noted author Michael Wolff based upon, he says, more than 200 interviews, including multiple conversations with the president himself and senior staff. Here's White House spokesperson Sarah Huckabee Sanders talking about one of the many allegations in the book. It's a ridiculous accusation and one that I'm pretty sure we've addressed many times from here before. And if that's in reference to comments made by Mr. Bannon, I'd refer you back to the ones that he made previously on 60 Minutes, where he called uh, the collusion with Russia about this president a total farce. So I think I would uh, look back at that. If anybody's been inconsistent, it's been him. Certainly hasn't been the president or this administration. That particular allegation included in the book comes from Steve Bannon. Bannon, Trump's former top advisor, who allegedly called a trio of Trump advisors, including Donald Trump Jr., treasonous and unpatriotic for a June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower with a Russian lawyer. Here's what Bannon was quoted as saying. The three senior guys in the campaign thought it was a good idea to meet with a foreign government inside Trump Tower in the conference room on the 25th floor with no lawyers. They didn't have any lawyers even if you thought this was not treasonous or unpatriotic, and I happen to think it's all of that, you should have called the FBI immediately. Trump responded yesterday by saying, Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. <laughs> this is good. A number of excerpts from the book have been released. The book itself doesn't arrive in stores until next week. What else have we got here? Oh, Trump didn't expect to beat Hillary Clinton, and his win left his wife in a bad state. Here's a quote shortly after 8 p.m. election night when the unexpected trend that Trump might actually win seemed confirmed. Don Jr. told a friend his father, or DJT as he calls him, looked as if he'd seen a ghost, and Melania was in tears and not tears of joy. Here's another one. Trump has a tough time focusing. Early in the campaign, Sam Nunberg was sent to explain the Constitution to the candidate. Nunberg says, I got as far as the Fourth Amendment before his fingers pulling down on his lip and his eyes are rolling back in his head. <laughs> Ivanka Trump apparently makes fun of her dad's comb over to friends. She often describes the mechanics behind it, saying an absolutely clean pate a contained island of scalp reduction surgery surrounded by a furry circle of hair around the sides and front from which all ends are drawn up to meet in the center and then swept back and secured by a stiffening spray. The color, she would point out to comical effect, was from a product called Just For Men. The longer it's left on, the darker it gets. Impatience results in Trump's orange-blonde hair color and nothing else. Fire and fury inside the Trump White House. I don't usually get excited about book releases, but man, I want to read this one bad. Oh, one more thing. The book says Tony Blair, former British PM Tony Blair, warned Trump the British government was spying on him. Tony? This story, as we pointed out, is a complete fabrication. I mean, literally from beginning to end. I've never had such conversations in the White House, outside of the White House. I don't care what he says, I gotta read this thing. Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House in stores next week. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Thank you, Shadow. We were talking, I think, yesterday, and I can't remember what the topic was about life imitating art and vice versa. House of Cards, uh, if you've not watched it, uh, this isn't a huge spoiler, but if you have watched it, you will remember that Tom Yates 
played by Paul Sparks, actually lived in the White House essentially for uh, about a year and a half, almost two years. It was embedded with the Underwoods and uh, embedded is uh, <laughs> a, 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 a double-edged sword there, if you know what I'm getting at. And so uh, it's just, uh, it's crazy when you watch House of Cards and you go, how close could this actually be to real life? And uh, the more that we hear, you you might realize it's closer to real life than you'd want it to be. Yeah, uh, it's, that's what I've heard about uh, the the most recent season of House of Cards on Netflix. That it's uh, it's almost harder to create something. Or be the idea was it'd be this sort of outlandish fiction and it's come so close to reality that it's kind of hard to create the fiction that the, maybe the fiction isn't even as interesting as what's happening in reality but uh, it is a show that's a landmark show too for Netflix that's the one that started everything for that uh, or for Netflix in terms of creating its own stuff you and I need guidance we need help on a variety of things yep. Jerry typically keeps us uh, in line. He's like our our uh, physical fitness guide for the studio, but we're going to talk about the idea of, of getting started on a, a physical fitness program and finding the motivation and the encouragement that we need. There are experts that can help offer advice and encouragement for us to get on track. And John Ramsey is here. He is a member of the Refit Center. He has lost 90 pounds. John had open heart surgery five years ago and at that point had never been in a Jim. We are also joined by Sue Boreski, who is the CEO of the Refit Center. John and Sue, good morning and welcome to CJOB. Good, good morning. morning. First, <laughs> where is it, by the way? Where is the Refit Center? It is on Taylor Avenue. Okay. 1390 Taylor. All right. Go ahead. I just, I'm blown away because <laughs> I'm looking at John and I can't imagine him carrying 20 or 30 more pounds on his frame, never mind 90. I mean, you look fantastic. You look healthy as can be, John. Uh, you really are one of these success stories that a lot of us can draw inspiration from. Talk about your journey to the Refit Center because it started with a journey I'm going to, to guess to cardiac care and maybe even perhaps at St. Boniface Hospital. Absolutely. I uh, was a workaholic. I uh, was a, on a first-name basis with drive through at McDonald's at 9 o'clock at night. Uh, double quarter pounders with cheese were my particular uh, foible. Um, and by accident, I found out I had a, a aorta that was about to pop. Um, so they uh, put me through uh, surgery, got that fixed up. And at St. B, they encourage you to get into the cardiac program, either at Refit or at Wellness. I live in the south part of the city, so I went to Refit. She who commands was going to have no other way about it. Um, did the four months there, um, and really, it, it sort of started me on a, a bit of a path because during the first couple of months, I mean, the first 40, 50 pounds went away, and... Um, and then over time, it was just sort of learning. I was a complete idiot when it came to fitness. I knew nothing about what what a weight machine was, what a what free weights were, what uh, training was, what exercises classes were. And the you know, if if you ever have a chance to go to refit, it's a wonderful facility. But really, that's that's a bit misleading because the real strength of refit is its people. Uh, you, you go to refit, you've got people who, as far as I understand, have degrees. Um, and I tell you, they love to teach you. Um, my common uh, 
experience was to go to the front desk and say, I've got a stupid question. Could you show me? Um, what would you advise? And and I and they loved it. Uh, they they loved to just help out and, and get into things. And it uh, it just sort of steamrolled from there over the last several years. It's become my new hobby. Well, I got to tell you, you don't need anyone else to speak based on you know uh, John's experience here. But Sue, I want to ask you because you and I have had this discussion over the years. The idea that people view people like John as the only people who go to the refit center, right? People that have experienced cardiac uh, difficulties or cardiac events, and that couldn't be further from the truth. But John is a shining example of what is possible. Oh, definitely. And and we've had thousands of people over the 40 years that refit has been is in existence with people with many issues, uh, health issues. But we also have people who are very fit, who want to maintain their health and need the support or guidance uh, through their lifespan in terms of, you know, you start getting an ache and pain, ache or a pain somewhere, um, who can guide you in terms of what exercises would be appropriate. And as John said, what we're very proud of is the team of interprofessionals that we have there, um, nurses, doctors, physiotherapists, athletic therapists, uh, kinesiologists, massage therapists, dietitians. They're all there together to support people like John if they need it. What separates the Refit Center from other fitness facilities? I think that one of the key things I would say would be in terms of we're trying to educate an individual such as John to be their own coach uh, in terms of guiding them. We're there to support them, but really what it re- to be an active person the rest of your life, we have to empower you to have those skills to make decisions and help you deal with barriers. And so that's what I think we're strong at. I mean, we can tell you what to do. You can read a book and know what you have to do at exercise. But I think uh, from our discussions in the past, you know, that's easier easier said than done. So what we need to do is teach you the skills of how you're going to deal with you've been away, you stop exercising for two weeks, and now you've got to get back into it. Um, those are very difficult skills. We call it behavior change, and that's what we're experts in, in terms of supporting you in, in how to make those behavior changes. Uh, John, you're you're clearly an intelligent individual. You're you know you're a workaholic. You obviously need a job in order to put that kind of hours into something. Clearly, very good at something. You're beyond articulate, and you're obviously a hard worker. Why was it that you needed? this uh, absolute shock to your life, this this event to change your behavior. You, you clearly, I think we all know that the answer to staying healthy is preventative and being proactive in these in these uh, in these situations. Why weren't you proactive? Is it fair for me to ask you that? It, it was a case, I suppose, of of um, just not getting around to it. but also, I remember not only with the fitness issue, but with the issue with the cardiac issues that I was having because I was in uh, with congestive heart failure and that has impacts throughout your body. I just sort of figured as when I would bend down to tie my shoes and I would lose my breath, I figured I'm just old and fat and that um, that's normal. And as you get on in age, you just sort of anticipate you're you're almost being very fatalistic, giving in, giving up. You write it off. You write it off as uh, that's just the way it's supposed to be, right? Right. And uh, I guess the whole fitness journey has taught me that there is no assumptions that are true. That you know, I, I've seen people older than me who've done amazing things in the gym, and I just realized that there, you know, that age really shouldn't be a barrier. 
and you can you you can be you can achieve as much as you want to achieve and that the body is an amazing thing. And Sue, one of the things that really jumped out of me here and the information that's been provided with us is many of the refit success stories. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm never going to climb this mountain. But many of the success stories start off with a simple stroll around the track at the refit center. Definitely. And and for some people, it's just coming to a place like the refit. Um, that is a first step. You know, they haven't even left their home very much in terms of just trying to get active. So for some individuals, the start is getting up, coming to the refit, even spending just half an hour, you know, walking a couple of laps or talking to a staff person and then going home. And then we take them through the journey. Other people, they have been active. And now they're a little bit older, not as active, and they think, oh, they can just jump back into it and then maybe overdo it. So depending on the individual, we're there to provide what guidance they need. In some cases, it's losing weight. In some cases, it's it's just counseling. We have a psychologist who works with us. And sometimes it's just aches and pains. Is this normal? Or like John said, is this just something we've assumed? All right, Sue Bereski, CEO of the Refit Centre. And John Ramsey, a member of the Refit Centre, who has lost 90 pounds after open-heart surgery five years ago. Just very quickly, John, when's the last time you had a double quarter pounder? John? I'm trying to think. Oh, it's been that long? <laughs> it's a good sign. <laughs> very good. Hey, good for you, John. That's uh, It's very inspiring if you can do it. Uh, Greg and I have both been kicking ourselves for months. we got to lose weight. we got to lose weight. So you're going to be uh, uh, inspiring to us both. So thank you so much for visiting us. Biff Naked Spaceman, in relation to what Jeff Braun was talking about in Global News at 9 o'clock, the bright flash in the sky. Have you ever witnessed anything strange in the sky? That's our question of the day at cjob.com. Question of the day for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. Get two quotes before you call them. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Jerry just inadvertently tied two things together. Oh. The flash in the sky with the Spaceman song and the obscure, quote-unquote, not a derogatory comment or commentary of Winnipeg musical talent, Biff Naked, of course, from Winnipeg, originally from northern Manitoba, but grew up here in Winnipeg. Oh, wow. So there you go. Well done, Jerry. You didn't even realize you were doing that, did you? Who says I didn't realize that? <laughs> I say you didn't realize. I'm, I'm going to say it was a coincidence. Apparently she was born can, in New Delhi. You can go ahead and think that. Oh, yeah. Very good. Good for you, Jerry. Love it. <laughs> John Taylor Collegiate, by the way graduate yes yeah yep. that's right she studied <laughs> she uh, she lived in uh the paw she lived in dauphin uh, her dad was a professor at the university of kentucky wow fascinating woman we should have her on the program yeah that'd be great yeah she's uh, very inspirational uh social media was a buzz last night as were our phone lines uh, brett mcgarry after a strange a flash was seen in the sky around 9 30 Posts began showing up on various social media feeds about a green light in the sky, followed by a red streak, leaving many people wondering what had just happened. Is this some sort of promotion for the X-Files Season 11, which debuted <laughs> last night? So to get the scoop, we've asked Scott Young from the Planetarium and the Manitoba Museum to join us. He joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Scott, welcome back, sir. Thank you. Good morning. 
Good morning, and we understand you're on holidays to boot, so you're doing this on your own time, friend. We appreciate it very much. Yeah, no problem. When Stuff always falls from the sky on my day off. That's the way it goes. <laughs> well, then, so you're used to this. Yeah. Uh, was your phone ringing off the hook, your email inbox overflowing this morning and last night? Yeah, I mean, the first, it always starts on social media. People just start saying, hey, did anybody else see that? Because they're they're loath to call someone and make a, a report if, you know, they just imagined it or whatever. Um, so there, there's always that sort of group uh, confirmation going on first. And then uh, the phone started uh, ringing, and uh, my voicemail's already full at work, and uh, I've been going through the, uh, the emails and things like that. Lots of people saw this thing, and it wasn't just in Manitoba. It turns out that uh, people uh, from Winnipeg all the way down to uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and over into uh, almost to Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, saw this thing in the sky. Now, uh, for in a lot of cases, uh, this is really being boiled down to this meteor shower. Is it as simple as that? Well, probably not. Um, there is a meteor shower going on called the Quadranted Meteor Shower. It's not one that most people know about because, hey, it's January. Who wants to be outside in minus 40 for like the whole night? Um, but that does provide a bunch of sort of regular shooting stars. This could be a very, very bright version of that. But the Earth all, also just gets pelted with these rocks all the time. Like there's probably one or two every day that hits the earth somewhere and burns up. And, uh, you know, maybe it's cloudy where it happens, or maybe it's way out over the ocean, nobody sees it. So for an average person to see these things, it's pretty rare, but they actually happen quite often. So um, we're not sure exactly yet whether this is related to the quadranted or or just another sort of random space rock, but uh, that's what all the reports are helping find out. So have you... Has anybody captured this on video or, or picture? I haven't seen any photographic, uh, not that I need evidence, but I'd like to see a picture. Have you seen yeah. anything yet? Well, not yet, because, um, I mean, the, the duration's about three seconds. And so in most cases, the odds of you actually, you know, seeing it and getting your camera up fast enough or anything like that is, is almost none. But um, security footage in a lot of places might record some of this stuff. So if, you're at a, if you work at a gas station, you've got those all-night security cams, go back and take a look and see if uh, the, you might not see the, the um, streak in the sky, but it lit up the whole ground apparently. And so you might be able to uh, determine the times and the directions and things like that just from, uh, from security camera footage. So, so that usually shows up a day or two after the event by the time people sort of think about it and bring it out. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about, is it uh, Chelyabinsk in uh, Russia, where yeah. the, this uh, with this object streaking across the sky was caught on multiple angles by multiple cameras about, what, yeah. four years ago? Yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty awesome. In, in Russia, everybody has a dashboard driving camera because the insurance um, procedures are not as streamlined, shall we say, over there. And so everybody is basically recording stuff all the time. So that was really, really helpful um, in, in seeing that. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the same level of stuff here. Interestingly, though, there are a few astronomers that have what are called all-sky cameras that basically just point up at the sky and wait for meteors and things like that. And uh, they're usually out in the middle of nowhere or, and uh, just accessible you know, by the Internet. So those images take a day or so to, to come out as well. So hopefully we will get some footage which will really nail down um, the big question, you know, where did this come from and where did it land if any pieces survived all the way to the ground? 
How long do you think that'll take where we might before we get any sort of potentially definitive answers? Well, um, the where it comes from will take a while because you really need to do a lot of measurements. Um, the where it might have landed, I mean, we're already narrowing things down just on visual reports into uh, northern Minnesota, sort of northeast of Thief River Falls, somewhere in that area. Um, but these, you know, the, it, it seems like the object exploded, and so pieces could have flown all over the place. They'll be spread over a very, very wide area, and uh, they will be, you know, basically they just look like dark-colored rocks. And there's a lot of dark-colored rocks out there. So finding them is going to be definitely a, a difficult prospect. Scott Young of the Manitoba Museum and the Planetarium joining us this morning. If you saw a bright light, flash of light in the, in the sky last night, you weren't alone in this. That's why we've brought Scott on. But you mentioned something off the top here that interest, interested me uh, a little more deeply than some of the other things you've been telling us. All fascinating stuff, Scott. But this idea that people are hesitant to sort of come forward uh, without a little bit of collaboration from friends or social media, we, we really don't trust our eyes all that often. Well, and, and we shouldn't, because our eyes are not really very good judges of what we see. I mean, um, whenever we get these reports and I talk to folks, they say, oh, yeah, I saw this bright light in the sky. Here's, here's how it moved. And it came down just over those trees there, or it, it landed just behind my house. There's, there's a very powerful illusion that this thing is, you know, because it's so bright, it's, it's very, very close to us. And our brain will not believe the fact that the object is actually, you know, dozens of kilometers away when you're actually seeing it. If it's burning, that means it's, it's high up in the atmosphere, at least 10, 20, maybe even higher kilometers above the surface. So it's not right in front of you. But our brain is just not used to dealing with these bright light uh, phenomenon in the dark. And, you know, because of that, we're always, I think, a little hesitant to sort of say, yeah, this is for sure what I saw. Um, and, you know, where is observation end and interpretation begin? That's the, that's the thing we have to sort through with all of these uh, reports. Scott Young, manager of the Science Gallery and Planetarium at the Manitoba Museum. Got to let you go now, man. Thanks for joining no us, though, again, to, to talk about this stuff. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, guys. All right, Scott Young, uh, one of our favorite guests. Uh, he was on just a couple of weeks ago telling us about all the fun stuff happening at the Manitoba Museum. Don't forget that the non-such uh, cargo hold tours are still on until are? January 7th. Okay. Yep, at 4 p.m. they wrap up then, and then it's going. they're going to shut her down for a few months to do some uh, some major renovations of the whole uh, exhibit. So, But, yeah, they only open up the, the cargo hold uh, for the holidays, typically, so it's a big deal to get. I'd like to take a peek down there. It looks neat. I, I was I was anticipating maybe they would uh, embrace my Nookie on the Nonsuch. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to ask him about pro- Nookie on the Nonsuch. <laughs> promotional idea from last year. <laughs> they're, they're really missing out, I got to tell you. <laughs> are beautiful, sandwiches are fine. I like sandwiches, I eat them all the time. I eat them for my supper and I eat them for my lunch. If I had a hundred sandwiches, I'd eat them all at once. Ah, bringing it all together as he always does. Behind the Glass, Jerry, it's the Shadow Davis Show. I'm Greg Mackling. He is Brett McGarry. And uh, Brett, when we started doing the afternoon show together, we would sometimes start a segment, our first segment of the day, 
And it'd just be just a chit chat, yakety yak, you and I talking. Yep. And one day we started talking about sandwiches. Didn't we start asking the Blue Bombers? We were doing a regular feature with the Blue Bombers and we started asking them about their favorite sandwiches. Yeah. And then we opened up the phone lines and asked you what your favorite sandwich was. And I bet you we had a hundred text messages and phone calls for an hour yep. on the topic. To this day, I think it's our most popular <laughs> and interactive conversation we've ever had in the year and a half or so that we've been working together. Yeah, I've got a lot of great suggestions on where to go for sandwiches. And with the Bombers, by the way, I think we had three guys in a row say peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, it wasn't very exciting on yeah. that front. And it wasn't until earlier, uh, just a few weeks ago, we talked to Andrew Harris. He said he likes to go to Myers yep. uh, Delicatessen on Grant, just a couple of blocks east of Keniston. You betcha. So uh, he likes to go there for sandwiches. And the reason why we're talking about sandwiches is because of this. I guess you want to know who I am? You ready for it? Salam Kahil. The wall says best sandwich in North America. It's true. The minute you walk in the store, you are going to get verbally abused. No smoked beef for you. You're too old for me now. No, I like no. them young. 13, 14. One day I'm going to make love to you so you won't be able to walk for the rest of your life. I went to Norway legally, Finland legally, Canada legally. I don't like to fill up form and wait in line. When you give a meal to the homeless people, they say, God bless you. really comes from their heart. We're welcoming now uh, a former Winnipegger and a still proud fan of our Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Caleb McLeod uh, lives in Vancouver, where he's making a name for himself through a documentary about the local legend that we just had a little bit of an introduction to. He's affectionately known, uh, maybe not so affectionately, known as the Sandwich Nazi, which is the same name as the documentary. It was nominated for the documentary Grand Jury Prize at South by South Southwest. Good morning, Callum. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks very much for having me on. That's a genuine pleasure. And uh, this trailer, uh, you know, it's hard to judge a book by its cover, but I'll tell you, I want to see this entire documentary. What an incredibly colorful individual Salam is. Oh, he's he's hilarious. It it, it took... um... It took us about two minutes of being in his deli and seeing how he interacts with his customers to realize, like, oh, we, we need to make a documentary about this guy. And uh, and he's such an open and, uh, and, and he loves talking to people. He loves sharing his story so much that it took about two minutes of discussion to uh, to agree to make a documentary. And off we went. So who is the sandwich Nazi and where would one find him? Uh, well, he is, uh, his name is uh, Salam Kahil, and, uh, and he uh, opened, or he has a, a Scandinavian deli with a French name, uh, and sells Scandinavian specialty products in uh, North Surrey, uh, just outside of Vancouver. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite an experience to, uh, to head to his shop. You, uh, he treats his, his uh, deli counter like a stand-up stage, and, uh, and so if you actually... I, I love sitting just in the back and listening to him interact with people as they come in because he's got, he, he has, he has sort of a mix of his tried and true jokes, which he tells exceptionally well. And then, uh, and then he, he just sort of riffs and, and improvises based on who walks in his door, uh, mostly sort of tearing them apart. It's, uh, it's pretty great. 
Now, I understand that uh, in his uh, past life, so to speak, he was a male escort, and he admits in the trailer that he has had gonorrhea 10 to 15 times. Do I really want this guy making me a sandwich? That's a great question. Uh, that's, uh, his, his escorting is, uh, is the source for most of his stories. The documentary actually opens with a story of, um, of a client uh, losing part of a candle in one of Sal's orifices. And, uh, and he, uh, he tells this story which, while making sandwiches, uh, which is, is, you know, might put you off on its own. And then he points to a little plastic bag on the wall with the extra extracted candle uh, still in it. <laughs> That's amazing. So you know, I, I look, I look at the documentary and the, and the trailer for it, and I, I examine the people that go to his shop, and you know, they all look like pretty average, normal people, yet they subject themselves to his punishment, to his commentary. Um, is there something uh, comforting in his making you feel uncomfortable, if you know what I'm getting at, Kaylin? I think so. There's, well, there's two parts to it. One, because he sells specialty products. I mean, there's only one place in Vancouver where <laughs> where little old Finnish people can go and get their pickled herring and stuff like that. So he has a captive audience in that regard. And so it's um, uh, and and it's it's amazing. Uh, we met some amazing people um, uh, who who went to his shop, and it's 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 quite stunning to see what they will sit through in order to get the taste of home. Um, but then also uh, he's he is incredibly charming. He's uh, so even as he's telling you a, a story about all of the things that might have been in his rectum over the years, uh, you you can't help but like the guy and and you see people from all walks of life from um uh yeah from from uh you know business folks in suits to uh to folks who just come in from from working outside all day and they they all uh, uh have this common bond of of loving uh this guy and and listening to him tell stories Caleb McLeod is a former Winnipegger who now lives in Vancouver, making a name for himself through a documentary about a local legend there, the Sandwich Nazi. And the documentary is now available. And it, it, it played at South by Southwest, which is a legendary festival in Austin, Texas. Uh, I understand, though, sadly, that there is now a rift between yourself and uh, Salam Kahil. What's going on there? It's true, and it's it's really disappointing and quite sad all around. I, it, it's difficult for us to figure out exactly why, because he, he, he watched the film before the, the our premiere at South by Southwest. He, he watched the first couple screenings uh, at South by Southwest, and they seemed to go really well. Um we had an amazing reaction from the audience, and there's people who who were loved, um, uh, were thanking him for telling his story because there, there's another part of of his story. And what sort of turns it from a, a the the whole film from you know a, a a very funny story into more of a well-rounded movie is is there's a reason why you uh, like there's a reason why you might run away from home in Lebanon. Um, when you're 15 years old and end up as a male escort. And that's not a very happy story. Um, and, and it was amazing for him to share that with us. And, and it was tough for him to watch the film, uh, but he definitely seemed to be 
it seemed to be a rewarding process for, for getting that side of things off of his chest. And then, um, what, uh, shortly after our, our second screening there, um, without any notice, he, he, he started saying publicly that he didn't like the film anymore. And I, I hmm. think it's, it's tough to have, it's, it's tough to have a, a movie made about you, tough to have somebody tell your story. And, and it's also tough to have people write reviews about you um, because he's so intrinsically linked to the movie. So if somebody says in a review, like this is a vulgar character, um, which I mean, by the stories you tell, I think most people would consider that an accurate definition. Um, uh, it's difficult to, to see that in print, I think. Yeah, and it is unfortunate because there is a side of this story. Um, you know, the Salam is incredibly generous to the uh, homeless population in Vancouver. Absolutely, it's um, and and overall the movie is very uplifting and and shows uh, a, a pretty amazing guy who's been through some some rough times uh, and and has found a community with his customers and uh, and they do some pretty amazing things. He, he gets volunteers. Uh, legions of volunteers to come out and help make hundreds of sandwiches. And then they head down to uh, Canada's uh, poorest neighborhood of uh, the downtown east side of, of Vancouver and uh, and hand them out on the street. And uh, there's scenes in the documentary where you see these just crowds of people around the back of his uh back of Sal's car as he, as he hands out these sandwiches and everybody knows him down there. He actually lives... Um, uh, not too far from that neighborhood, and feels really connected to it, and tries to help out as much he can, as much as he can. He's a he's a pretty special guy, uh, and and yeah, he's. I think everybody gets drawn in by just how hilarious he is, and then when you start to see the whole story, it's it's. Uh, He's, he's pretty incredible. Now, Caleb, uh, the, the article that you forwarded us regarding this rift uh, was published back in October of 2015. So it's been a while since uh, you guys have been sort of uh, at odds with each other. When did you make the movie? When did you produce it? So, so we, we actually started, so we were making uh, a series of short documentaries in 2012. Um, and so this started out as one of our shorts. So we actually started filming this, uh, this film all the way back in, uh, in 2012. I, I put it this way. I had no kids when I started making this movie and now I have three. <laughs> um, and so the, it, the process took a while cause we were trying to get, um, we were true, really trying to get to the meat of the story. Sal's amazing. And we'll share anything in, in five minutes of meeting him. He'll tell you all sorts of things, including uh, stories in a joking manner about how he might have suffered some abuse at the hands of his family uh, when he was a kid. Uh, and again, he's telling this in a, a joke, a very shocking joke that's that's difficult to listen to. Um, but uh, it, you can tell that there there might be something behind it. Uh, we wanted to get eventually to to a place where we could share that and, and have. Um, have him be comfortable enough to to tell it from beyond a joke and actually get serious about that subject. So we we followed him for like two and a bit years, uh, and then put the film together. and And it came out originally in in South by Southwest in, in um, at the beginning of 2015. And uh, it was it, it was quite a process. It's um, it was a lot of fun, and we got quite close to it, which made our whole falling out uh, 
all the more difficult to take on on a number of levels. Um, but uh, but what we were able to put together is a is a pretty moving film. And and I would say of all that time we spent with him, um, he sort of got r- real, uh, for lack of a better term, got open and willing to share uh, the the parts of the story that are are less comfortable for about maybe five minutes. And it's that five minutes that's all in the film uh, that uh, that really, again, turns it from almost a cartoon character of this wacky guy who tells crazy stories about crazy things and, and turns him into a, a full human being who, uh, who you just can't help but love. Kalen, we got to go, but where do we watch this movie? You can watch it on uh, iTunes, on Google Play, Microsoft Store, and Vimeo On Demand. And, uh, hey, if you enter uh, the Bombers in all cap, as in Blue Bombers, into Vimeo, you'll get a discount. Okay. Sandwich Nazi, the sandwichnazi.com as well for more information. Kayla McLeod, thank you so much for this. Congratulations on what you've achieved here. Just watching the trailer alone, uh, it really looks like an impressive uh, documentary that you've crafted. Thank you so much, guys. All Go right. Bombers. Go Bombers, Caleb. <laughs> Caleb McLeod, Winnipegger, now lives in Vancouver. He's made a documentary called The Sandwich Nazi. Once again, you can go to thesandwichnazi.com for more information. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Shanalee Vidal and Behind the Glass Jerry. And thank you for listening to The Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.